team. I want you to imagine with me this fictitious scenario. He's a 25-year-old young man who is very healthy, and therefore he would say, you know, all this healthy eating and exercise is just so overrated. I don't do any of that stuff, and I am very healthy. I can, uh, I don't exercise, I don't, I don't eat well, um, and I can even eat lard. <laughs> and nothing happens. I don't spend a moment on physical exercise, and I am healthy. I have no physical problems whatsoever. And thanks to my fast metabolism, I don't show that I'm overweight. Well, that goes on for several years, maybe 10 years, and 10 years later, it still feels the same way. No heart attack, no health issues. Now, by now, he's tempted to think, I am right. I am absolutely right, and I'm invincible. Fifteen years has passed. What was happening during those 50 years of life is internal destruction was taking place inside of his body. Slowly, slowly, slowly. But not as far as he was concerned. As far as he was concerned, he's invincible. Until one day, his arteries, the arteries of his heart are clogged at 90%, and he is in immense danger. As a matter of fact, I have a friend. This is not as fictitious as you may think. Oh, probably some of you by now are saying, wait a minute, Michael, if uh, I wanted to hear a lecture on health and dieting and exercise, I'll get it from a professional, not from you, because you only play doctor on television. Actually, I don't even do that. But here's the point, and this is where I am an expert. (laughs) The same thing happens spiritually. It happens spiritually. In fact, that's exactly what was happening to the believers in the church of Pergamum. Today, it's the Turkish city of Bergana. Now, if you're visiting with us, we are going through the resurrected, glorified Jesus' letters to the seven churches. And to the members of the church of Pergamum, they like this fictitious character that I'm talking about, the 25-year-old. They were paying no attention whatsoever to the dangerous lifestyle that is beginning to spread in their midst, thinking that as long as from the outside they're looking great, they're looking wonderful, from the outside everything is hunky-dory. As a matter of fact, they have nothing to worry about at all, but even though on the inside there are cancer cells that are swimming all over the place. The church in Pergamum looked great, church from the outside, a good mega church that is very successful, that's doing great. It, it was the envy of every young pastor who says, oh, I wish I have a church like that. But, but, 
their, their tolerance of sin and the accepting of sexual immorality, not just into membership, but even in leadership, their sexual immorality, immorally, sexually immoral members who are blatant, blatant about their sin was eating them alive from the inside. You see, they had a great music program. They have a great entertainment program for the children. They have a culturally relevant message. They have a good program on their outreach. Young pastors are coming from all over the world, all over the country, and coming in to study what is the secret of their success. And overall, they are not denying Christ. Overall, they are not denying the gospel. Overall, they are not denying the virgin birth or the resurrection and the great doctrine of the church. They are attracting lots and lots of people are coming into the church, all but from the inside, they were winking at sin. They're accepting sin as an alternate lifestyle. And that was slowly but surely clogging their spiritual arteries. Then enter the all-knowing and the all-seeing great physician, the greatest physician of all. Then enter the one who can see with a million magnified best of MRI machines. And he says to them, if you continue on this road to in compromise, if you continue on the road to tolerance of sin, if you continue on the road of wanting to be accepted at any price, sooner or later you will have to face the surgeon's couple. If you continue under the guise of not being judgmental, of not judging sin, and turning a blind eye to this growing cancer, sooner or later you're going to come under the great physician's knife. If you continue to try my patience and continue on the road to acquiescing to sin, sooner or later you'll face the consequences. If you continue on the road of wanting to get the applause of the world, not the applause of God, sooner or later, you're going to face destruction. And that is why the resurrected, glorified Jesus is appealing to them. He's appealing to them. He's appealing to them to end their tolerance of sin and to stop calling sin by another name. And just in case you think this would just not happen here, you know, these churches are too big to fail, <laughs> let me just uh, give you, if you think this is far-fetched, the latest statistic just came out, a major study was done in America between the year 2010 and the year 2020, that a decade, 
between 3,850 to 7,700 houses of worship closed per year. That is between 75 to 150 a week. And they're predicting that after this pandemic is over, that number could double. Beloved, 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 God is no respecter of persons. You see, He is exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly patient. I know that because He's been patient with me. And I know He's been patient with you. But sometimes we try His patience. And if you look at the nation and you look at the world and things are falling apart, it is because the people of God, that's where it started, in the church. They're winking at sin. And then it's impacting the culture and impacting politics and impacting the world. Let's not point our finger elsewhere until we point the finger at us. Now, sometimes I give you three points, sometimes I don't, depending on the text. Today, I do have three points because they loom large from this letter. But before we do that, I want to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. I want to draw your attention to the screen. Jonathan, I'm so grateful, when he headed up the international ministry at Leading the Way, Many years ago, he traveled, and he's been to every one of the seven churches in Asia Minor, and he reads, as those of you who've been following this, he reads the letter on location. And I think he did all of them except Philadelphia because uh, the driver got very sick and they couldn't make it to Philadelphia. But I want you to watch and listen to the letter of the Lord, resurrected Lord Jesus to the church in Pergamum. know, believe, and practice this fact, that without your Holy Spirit opening our spiritual eyes, convicting our hearts and wills and minds, all of this is just an exercise in futility. Holy Spirit, you authored this book, the holy book, the Bible, 
And we ask you to come and move freely in every heart that is here and those thousands and tens of thousands who are watching live around the world. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, there's three things I want to share with you. The first thing you notice here, that the great physician gives him a diagnosis. He's a great diagnostician. And secondly, he gives his disappointment, the source of his disappointment. And thirdly, he makes a decision or give them the opportunity to make a decision. So here you get it, diagnosis, disappointment, and decision. Easy for you to remember, right? All starts with D. Write them down. First thing you notice is uh, the, our glorified Jesus diagnosis of the condition of the church in Pergamum. In fact, it applied to, to a mini mega church today. Pergamum was about 100. Uh, let's put the, the map back in the, uh, on the screen as we've been doing every, every time. Uh, it's about a, a hundred miles from Ephesus and 50 miles from Smyrna. Pergamum was a city that was built 1,000 feet. You saw when Jonathan was walking in there how high it was, 1,000 feet above the plain. That's where the city was built. It contained the second largest library in the world at that time. The first or the largest uh, was the famed Library of Alexandria. In the library of Pergamum, there were 200,000 volumes, handwritten volumes. Above all, Pergamum became the center of emperor worship. Just to give you an idea, just to give you an idea of the pressure that these believers in Pergamum, the church in Pergamum, were under, in the average region, they were, they were offered a sacrifice to the emperor whom they worshipped, Lord Caesar, once a year. In Pergamum, they were offering daily sacrifice to the emperor. Just understand the pressure. See, without understanding all of this, there's just another letter, and you said, well, you know, God, this, our Lord Jesus is just telling them some things. No, no, no. You have to understand that He knows. He knows everything. Imagine with me. Imagine with the incredible pressure, the daily pressure that these believers were under in this town. And that is why the glorified Jesus said, I know where you live. I know where you live. This is not a threat like sometimes you say, I know where you live. You know. <laughs> Actually, that happened to me a million years ago when I was doing my doctorate dissertation. And I was traveling in the Middle East, and uh, part of what I was doing is, is, is interviewing some of the extremists in the Middle East. And finally, when I, I, I got through the uh, secret and security and all that stuff, and they checked me out, and we met underground. And, and, and when I was asked them question, let them know that even though I'm a minister of the gospel, this is not a Christian book. This is an academic book, and it's a PhD from a secular university. They said, yes, they knew so much about me. It was scary. I mean, they knew, they run, the, they had better intelligence than I don't tell you. It was the most amazing thing 
And they would say to me, write this down, because we know where you live. And you live in Dunwoody, Georgia. Man, I'm, that scared me. That night in the hotel, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> they knew my kids. They knew everything. So that, but that's not the same here. This is not a threat. I know where you live. No. This is a loving statement. I know where you live, meaning I know your circumstances. I know your constant temptation. I know that Satan is in total control of your city. I know that Satan's headquarters is right next door to where you live. Question, why is Jesus saying this? Because Pergamum was not only the center of emperor worship, but also was the center of the worship of the god Escalepios. He was called the god of healing. Escalepios, of course, was a satanic uh, manifestation, was viewed as the son of Apollo. And he was depicted as a snake. There you go. As a matter of fact, some pharmaceutical companies uh, uh, use that snake as an emblem. The god Escalapios represented by a snake was a constant reminder for them, the believers in Pergamum, of Satan in the Garden of Eden and the temptation. It was constant reminder. In fact, in the temple of Scalapius, they, they, they had a bunch of non-poisonous snakes all over the temple. I mean, they were roaming freely, and they would dare not <laughs> kill it <laughs> because that's their God. And the poor saps, that's the best way I can describe them. <laughs> the poor saps traveled from all over the world to come to the temple of Asclepius, and, and, and they would lie on the ground and, 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 and hoping uh, that, 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 they, that the snake will touch them because they believed that, that Asclepius himself is touching them, and, and, and they believed that's where their healing is. So you got to understand these poor believers in that area. And that is why Jesus called their city where the throne of Satan is. It's the headquarters. And yet, in the middle of trying circumstances, in the middle of these trying situations, the believers continued to hold onto the essence of the gospel. There are some faithful believers in that church who continued to believe that Christ died for their sin and rose again. They continued to hold fast in the name of Christ. They never denied the name of Christ. They never denied the faith altogether, as you see in some of the mainline denominations today. They abandoned the gospel altogether, so much so that one of the church leaders by the name of Antipas was martyred. And Jesus reference to him, make a reference to him. The faithful believers in that church remain true to Christ in a very difficult circumstance. And that is why the resurrected, glorified Jesus commends them for it. He commends them for it. He praises them for it. He praises them for their faithfulness to the gospel under the most difficult circumstances. Beloved, listen to me. Our God never takes anything we do in His service for granted. Amen. 
Our God always points out to our faithfulness when we are. Which brings me, secondly, to his disappointment with his servants in that church. What is the source of Jesus' disappointment? Very simply put, they were failing, they were falling in the same trap that many a mega church in America today is falling into. They were falling in the same trap that so many churches have fallen into. Ooh, we cannot sit in judgment on anyone. We should not be judgmentals. Oh, we should not judge anybody's sin, even if that sin is so blatant and totally against the Word of God, even if that sin is called by another name, even if that sin is called alternative lifestyle by some members of that church. Now, let me share something with you. Now, I'm coming close now to half a century in ministry. Half a century. I know, I know. I, I look like I started when I was 10. <laughs> but I think you know better than that. <laughs> Half a century of serving God. Since that first day, I stood behind a pulpit in a church in Dulles Hill, Sydney, Australia. It's half a century. And I want to share my heart with you. What I have learned through these years is that when a pastor or a church leader says, we should not be judgmentals of sin or the sin of others, it is dead giveaway that that person is not judging sin in his or her own life. Whenever they are afraid to call sin, sin, it's because ten out of ten times they have never learned to judge sin in their personal life. Whenever there is a hidden sin, whenever there is an unconfessed sin, whenever there is a cherished sin, whenever there is a rationalized sin or covered up sin, oh, we shouldn't be judging others. It's a cover-up. My beloved friends, my beloved, beloved friends, judging sin, listen to me carefully, please, judging sin must begin by judging myself. It must begin by judging ourselves first. We must begin by examining and judging and confessing and repenting of our own sins in our lives. Only then are we in a position to call sin, sin. In the church of Pergamum, there was tolerance of sexual immorality. Oh, it did not affect the faith of the faithful members of the church. No, it, it did not affect their loyalty to Christ. It did not affect their belief in Christ. Oh, but the risen, glorified, great physician and his diagnosis said, 
I have few things against you. What are they? Jesus said, you are winking at sin in your midst. You're winking at it. You're accepting people into membership, even in leadership, who are living in blatant sin. They were knee-deep in sexual immorality, and yet they are serving in the church under the guise of being a welcoming church. There's nothing wrong with that. But under the guise of being a welcoming church, they turn a blind eye to some of their membership who turned the grace of God into license. So many young evangelical pastors now, you heard me say this before, they call it hyper-grace. Jesus does not say that. Jesus does not say. He said, this type of sin that Balaam in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 22, 23, and 24, when you go home, please read those chapters. In the book of Numbers 22 to 24, Balaam introduced that sin to the people of God. In the same way, in the New Testament, there was a false prophet by the name of Nicholas. He introduced that to the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to explain all that. Nicholas was one of the seven deacons. Remember, the apostle said we must give ourselves to preaching of the gospel and, 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 and prayer and, and, and ministering. So they chose seven deacons, wonderful men. The first martyr, Stephen, was one of them. Well, there's always one bad in the bunch. Even Jesus had one out of 12. <laughs> Nicholas was one of those deacons. Both Balaam in the Old Testament and Nicholas in the New Testament have promoted the same sexual immorality. I know most of you have heard of Balaam's ass. I know, I know you've heard that, and that's why I always say, don't be too stubborn. Don't be too stubborn and be careful because your spiritual stubbornness may make the donkey speak. Just let me refresh your memories about Balaam, okay? I won't take but a few seconds, so listen carefully, very quickly. <laughs> the people of God were redeemed from the slavery of Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land. And the king of the Moabites didn't want this to happen. He wanted to stop them from going into the promised land. So what did he do? He looked around, and he found Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire. Balaam would do anything and say anything if the price was right. Balaam was a prophet who was available to the highest bidder. And so the king of Moab hires him. God told him not to go, but the money was so good. So he goes along. And then he begins, he, he was asked by king to curse the people of God, to curse them so they don't go to the promised land. Balaam, he looks at this pile of money on the table, and he said, man, that's a lot of money, even though God has been telling me not to do it. And uh, it's just too much money on the table to leave it there. You've got to do something about it. And God says, don't do it, Balaam. Don't do it, Balaam. 
And every time the king of Moab hears him say, I can't do it, I won't do it, he just thinks that this is Balaam's way of being coy and wants more money. And he piles more money on the table, more money on the table. And Balaam wanted to curse him so badly because of the money. But God says, you can't do it. And every time he opens his mouth to curse him, he blesses him. Every time he tried to curse him, he ends up blessing them. Every time he says no, the king of Moab adds a zero to the check. <laughs> and finally, he failed to curse the people of God because God wouldn't let him. Balaam did not want to walk away from that pile of money. I mean, it's just too much money, and it looked so good. So he came up with a diabolical plan, really diabolical. Only the devil himself, Lucifer, who served at the throne room of God before he was thrown out of heaven, would have come up with that plan. And it worked. It worked. Because Balaam knew, like Satan knows, that God is a righteous God, and His righteousness will not allow sin to run rampant in His body, in His church, in His kingdom, the people of Israel at the time. And God's righteous anger, sure enough, burnt against Israel because of that diabolical plan, and 24,000 men died. What was the plan? Entice them sexually. Entice them sexually. Get some loose Moabite women <laughs> that would entice the Israelite, the Israelite men and they will not only commit adultery with them, they will actually bow to their gods. They're going to bow to their idols. And that brought God's judgment on Israel. I told you, diabolical, diabolical. What the false prophet of the Old Testament, Balaam, was to Israel was the false prophet in the New Testament Nicholas brought to the church. And it was running rampant. I'm going to show you the contrast between the different churches in their relationship to this particular trick. Question, what was the Lord saying to them and to us and to us? Those are so hung up on not being judgmental. Don't judge sexual immorality. Here's what it says. Be forewarned. Be forewarned. Can you say that with me? Be forewarned. When somebody says, I just can't help it, be forewarned. When someone says, I'm just born that way, be forewarned. forewarned. When somebody says, I don't have strength to resist, be forewarned. When somebody says, grace will cover it all, send to your heart's content because grace will take care of it. They are bringing Balaam and Nicholas' sin 
into the church. What Balaam in the Old Testament and Nicholas in the New Testament said is this. Listen carefully. Oh, it's just a little bit of idolatry. Not much. It's just a little bit of adultery. That's not much, but just a little bit. Still love your wives. And you can tell, yeah, I, I love you. you. You're my wife. These are girlfriends. They're just, they're not, they don't mean much to me, you know. A little bit of drunkenness goes a long way. <laughs> just bow the knee a little bit to Lord Caesar. A little bit of grain of incense is not going to harm anybody. We are free. We are free in Christ. We're not under legalism and all this law stuff in the Old Testament. No, we are free now in the New Testament. Don't be an extremist like that Yusuf guy. I actually heard that with my own ears. <laughs> We're all human? Surely God understands this. He does not expect us to be perfect. Don't be unreasonable. Don't be unreasonable. Well, my beloved friends, Christ happened to disagree with this. He happened to disagree with this false reasoning, false reasoning. In fact, Jesus commended the church in Ephesus. You remember from a couple of weeks ago? He commended the church of Ephesus for hating the work of these Nicolites, for not tolerating the sin of Nicholas. He commended the church in Ephesus. The problem was different. And if you went here, download it and watch it. He is condemning the church in Pergamum for tolerating it, for tolerating it. So I come to the third, the great physician's verdict or decision. Let me remind you, it's diagnosis, disappointment, decision. Jesus said to them, the only remedy that is acceptable to him, the only remedy that is acceptable to him, the only remedy of any, 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 any sinful behavior, it is not to discuss it, it is not to explain it away, it is not to rationalize it, it must be repented of. And the gracious, merciful King Jesus invites them to repent. Amen. The Lord gracious. Hallelujah. Then he gives them a choice. But before they make a choice, he reminds them that choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Can you say that with me? If they refuse to repent, then the surgeon's couple, the word of his mouth, <laughs> will be penetrating deep into their lives. Because Jesus will not allow falsehood to permeate his bride. Jesus will not allow cancer to infest his body, the church. Like my hypothetical friend that I mentioned earlier 
in the beginning of the message, the church in Pergamum looked like that young man thinks that he's free, he's free to do whatever he wants with his body. He thinks that he's just fine. Look and see, we've been going out, we've been going on for 20, 30, 40, whatever, how many years we've been going, and the church is growing. We've got a lot of people coming. We've got masses of people coming. We are fine. Everybody looks at us and they're saying, wow, what a great church you are. No wonder the Apostle Paul warns us. That, that always gets to me. The Apostle Paul warning, he said, don't confuse God's patience with His acquiescence. Because He's so patient, because He wants to lead us to repentance, don't think that He's winking at you. Don't think He's going to forget about it. So the first choice He gives them is to repent. If they repented, there are two major rewards. The first is the hidden manna. I'm going to explain that. And the second is the white stone. The hidden manna was a reference to the jar of manna that God told them to save when they were supernaturally fed in the wilderness. In fact, the, the, uh, the box, which called the Ark of the Covenant, had the staff of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and a jar of the manna. It's all the… Uh, it's this, whatever the guy's name is… It, Indiana Jones, you know, looking around. He's trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. But God asked him to do this in order to remind them of His grace of redeeming them from Egypt. Oh, but the real manna, the real manna, the real manna from heaven is Jesus Himself. And He said so in John chapter 6. And so, my beloved friends, listen to me. When we repent and stop rationalizing, we are going to get no less than Jesus. And the white stone is what every winning athlete received after a game when they win in the games. And they have a little white stone with their name written on it. And when God had a special calling on someone's life, He changed their name. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. And Saul became Paul. Beloved, listen to me. I'm about to finish. God has a new spiritual name for you when you repent and lean on His strength alone. God has a new identity for every repentant sinner. And that name is engraved. I hope I get through this. <laughs> that name is engraved Amen. on the heart of the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You want to give Him glory? As we go to the Lord, and if any of you feel disposed to kneeling on the kneelers there that you have, or sitting, or whatever you want to do, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, 
if the Holy Spirit brought you under conviction today. I know he convicts me on a daily basis. Say, Lord Jesus, I will not rationalize. I will not explain away. I will not make it to be normal. If you call it sin, I call it sin too. I repent. Forgive me. And feel the incredible joy and pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I tell you publicly what I tell you on a daily basis. How gracious have you been with me for 56 years that I've been walking with you. How patient, how loving. And I want to bless your name publicly today. I want to thank you for your perseverance, Lord. I want to thank you for your long-suffering not just with me, but with all of us. And so, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, as we look and see the day is drawing nigh, now prepare and cleanse our hearts to be ready to be with you, to reign and rule with our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would not be ashamed on that last day, for I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen.